BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of WrestleNomics Radio. I'm Brandon Thurston, broadcasting live and on demand for Buffalo, New York, where today is Sunday, January the 7th, 2024. And today in the program, uh, welcome to a solo edition, uh, as I will be talking to myself. We'll see how this goes for the next, who, who knows how long I could be, um, rambling about quarter hours, YouTube TKO consolidation for minutes, hours. It remains to be seen. Um, but today on the program, what have I got? A lot of year end stuff. A lot of year-end slides to go through with attendance. We will talk about Wrestle Kingdom attendance, um, some YouTube stuff, some quarter hours. Um, what else have I got here? The biggest quarter hour, the quarter hours for the biggest shows, for the highest viewership shows of the year, some of that. And a strange discovery that I've found related to the Big Bang Theory. No, not, not the uh, astrophysics theory, but the television program that does enormous viewership in reruns somehow. Um, I'll there's, there's more, but we'll see. Maybe it's too much. We'll see. Um, of course, Russell radio is free today because it is the first Sunday of the month It is the first Sunday of January. So it's free for everyone on YouTube. We're, we're streaming live here on YouTube, on Facebook, on X formerly known as Twitter. On Twitch, I decided to hit the Twitch button. I don't know if anybody's watching us on Twitch today, but we're on Twitch as well. And um, every other week, this is for subscribers only at patreon.com slash WrestleNomics. So <clears throat> there's that. If you haven't listened to it already, Pollock and Thurston, we had a program on Wednesday where we talked to Chris Samsa as well as Phil Strum. Uh, talked to Chris Samsa about Wrestle Kingdom that was upcoming and talked to Phil Strum about the world's end presser the controversy surrounding Chris Jericho. So check that out if you haven't already. And I guess we'll get started. Um, Wrestle Kingdom attendance, 27,422. 27,422. So what is that? That's a little bit better by, you know, what, what, 1,400? It's a little bit better than the prior year in 2023 when 
there were no more capacity restrictions, but there were still, as I understand it, cheering restrictions. There were no cheering sections. And I think there were, were cheering sections. Um, the real pro experts can correct me, but I think 2023 is the year where, where everybody finally in Japan got back to pre pandemic live events, um, in terms of full capacity, full cheering allowed. Um, so does the notion that being able to cheer everywhere, does that make the event more attractive to go to? Or does that also coincide with less hesitancy about the safety of attending? Uh, I don't know. So, so maybe those are some tailwinds that should have made this show have higher attendance and it did slightly higher. Um, this is in, in, in fact, still higher attendance than 2016, as we can see here in the chart or 2017 when they did 25,000 in 2016 and 26,000 in 2017. We believe, by the way, all these attendances are legit. I think that they're probably paid plus paid ticket sales plus comps. I think is what we're looking at here around May 2015, the New Japan website, which is always reported attendance for each one of their events. Those attendances are believed uh, by myself and people who I, I trust uh, better than myself about these subjects. Beginning around May 2015, the attendances became more legit. Um, maybe that has to do with Bushi Road being the parent company. I don't know. But we do believe that these attendances from the middle of 2015 and forward are pretty legit. Um, so anyway, of course, nowhere near the, the heights of New Japan's success uh, in the late 2010s, 2019, 38,000. And then they did the two-day Wrestle Kingdom under the guidance of Harold May. 40,000 on day one, 30,000 on day two. So this is, although New Japan is now, I think, finally back in terms of this, the safety restrictions, finally back from the pandemic. But clearly... That was a peak that they were on in 2018, 2019, and early 2020 um, that they have yet to return to. But you could say, hey, maybe business is at the level of 2016 and 17. We'll look at some annual attendance uh, data later on, I guess, is the main event today, uh, looking at AEW, WWE, and New Japan annual attendance trends. Uh, there are reports for that, too, on the Patreon. Um, briefly, we will break some news here. Not very interesting news, not very meaningful news. But we will break some news here. Um, we have some ratings that have not been reported elsewhere up to this moment. Um, Impact and New Japan. Uh, Impact was watched by 65,000 viewers on Thursday. It was a best of episode. Uh, I understand. I'm not watching. But I understand that Impact hasn't really aired new content since mid-November or so. Uh, there'll be a preview episode of, of the pay-per-view Hard to Kill this coming Thursday. And then they will return with, with actual new content the week after that. So, this rating is is pretty low. What we have here in the, in the table is the averages by month, and what we have here is sixty five thousand for the only episode uh, in January so far, and that is that will be there. You know that that's lower than any of the monthly averages preceding. Um, new Japan aired not re not new Wrestle Kingdom content uh, on January fourth, Thursday. Uh, I think they did last year. I want to say maybe they did, maybe they will next week. In any case, uh, they re aired the Osprey and Omega match from the prior year and did 60,000 viewers, which is fine for them. As you can see here in the charts in the range of 60 is what they're often doing on average. Uh, so there's that. What did we learn here? Uh, not particularly meaningful. Uh, we'll see what happens uh, in the future uh, as far as impact. And if they're, Oh my, <laughs> by the way, 
a little hard to find impact wrestling in, in, in the Nielsen data. They have, uh, re whatever they've, they've rebranded of course to TNA and now their, their program name is different. Uh, so there's that. Um, We'll, we'll talk about some live event data here. The biggest gates of the year, the biggest pay-per-view gates for pay-per-view events. And by the way, what was the, the gate for New Japan? I don't know for the um, Russell Kingdom. I was told last year for 2023's Russell Kingdom that the, the gate was probably over just over $2 million. So I would imagine this year's did similar given the attendance was similar. I don't know if there's a difference in ticket prices, but to put that in some context, with what we're about to talk about here, 2023, the pay-per-view live event gates for AEW. Of course, the biggest one was $10 million for all in. Um, and what I've got here on this chart is the number, the, the gate number and the source where it comes from. Um, so we know from Polestar, $737,000 is what Revolution did. Uh, double or nothing, $964,000. Forbidden Door, $1.2 million. Um, all Out, $800,000. That is my estimate because um, we don't have a pull star number for All Out uh, and we don't have anything like a records request to substantiate that. But that's based on what Tony said, uh, where I believe he said something to the effect of it was, I don't have it in front of me, but something to the effect of I, I ended up believing that it was about $800,000. Um, and then Wrestle Dream. Just over half a million, so the lowest one, uh, Wrestle Dream. Full gear, $900,000, and World's End, I'm going to estimate around eight hundred and fifty. dollars um, And then WWE, just about every, with the exception of Elimination Chamber, which came very, very close. We got every pay-per-view. I did exclude Saudi Arabia events here because I have no great idea how to understand what the gate was for those events. And I'm not sure WWE even, even directly collects that money. Um, nonetheless, we do know that the Saudi Arabia events, including what night of champions and crown jewel WWE is collecting a $50 million plus slight fee for those events. So $50 million would blow away anything on this chart here, but every pay-per-view um, did about a million dollars or more. Elimination Chamber did $998,000. That is in U.S. dollars. I know it was in Montreal. Um, and we have the stadium events that did $8.5 million for SummerSlam, $7.3 million for uh, Royal Rumble, $9.5 million for WrestleMania Night 2, $10.2 million for WrestleMania Night 2, or did I say Night 1? $9.5 million for WrestleMania Night 1, $10.2 million for WrestleMania Night 2. Um, and everything else did at least a million. Uh, I'm going to estimate that Survivor Series did just over 2 million um, based on, I think I based this on looking at what the average ticket sold price was for last year's for the previous year's survivor series in Boston and extrapolating that onto an estimate of what the ticket sales were. So taking Russell ticks estimated distributed, knocking some off for ticket for, for comps and then multiplying that by a, a calculated ticket price. And I do get over 2 million, which is under the WrestleMania in Chicago, which it had to fall short of, which they, said it, which WWE did say it did fall short of. Um, so a, a record for Chicago with the exception of the WrestleMania in Chicago in what, 2006. So there's that. Um, what did we learn here from any of this? Um, that WWE's had on the high end of their events, some, some really strong peak events. Um, we'll do 
Royal Rumble in Tampa, and we'll see how that compares to this Royal Rumble. If the ticket prices are higher, if the I can't imagine the attendance is going to get much higher than the roughly fifty thousand they had uh, at the Alamo Dome. Um, the Money in the Bank number was tremendous, given it was in an arena um, over three million dollars. So there's that. Do we learn anything about about AEW here? In that they are, you know, I mean, relative to WWE, a little bit under that. Um, a little bit under what WB is doing, but uh, they're still able to do strong, big events uh, with you know a strong gate. So the highest attendances for this year, um, of course, all in is number one with their announced eighty one thousand paid. WrestleTix estimated eighty three thousand distributed. The Borough of Brent told us seventy two thousand. Uh, through the turnstiles, as recorded through the turnstiles, even if we're just using that number, it's still by a, a decent margin, the most highly attended event of 2023. Followed by WrestleMania, Night 1 and Night 2, SummerSlam, Royal Rumble, the Kijimuto Pro Wrestling Last Love Holdout Tokyo Dome Show, Wrestle Kingdom uh, of 2023 with 26,000. And then we have, and that, that's the end of the stadium events, I guess, right? And then we get into Backlash in Puerto Rico, Money in the Bank in London, Survivor Series in Chicago, a the night before Survivor Series in Chicago, the SmackDown, um, the MSG house show that just took place uh, on December 26th, uh, the Raw in in LA, probably at the Forum. This is the post WrestleMania Raw. Is that the Forum that they run there? I think it is, unless it's the Staples Center. Anyway, uh, Triple Mania in Tijuana, CML uh, the anniversary show for CML. That is the anniversary show, right? Here's where I had to uh, ask Lucha Blog uh, about this, this data that I got from uh, Cage Match, and uh, it looks like it's about fifteen thousand for uh, Arena Mexico, and uh, so we have three CMLL shows, presumably at Arena Mexico, right? Fifteen thousand uh, towards the end of the year, and then we have Elimination Chamber in Montreal, which I was at, uh, fourteen thousand six hundred, and Raw in Philadelphia for the Raw Triple X thirtieth anniversary, and finally. Uh, the Toronto SmackDown. So there's all that. Um, and then I couldn't help myself. I had to go to the cage match data and look at what, what were the highest rated matches of the year for this year on cage match. And we have at number 10, Drew McIntyre and Sheamus versus Gunther. That is a, a three-way match. And I, I guess I could have replaced the and with, um, with versus a lot of this is automated, obviously at WrestleMania. Uh, then we have number nine, the collision that, that, hour-long tag match between Jay White with Juice Robinson against FTR. Uh, and then at number eight, Kento Miyahara and Katsuhiko Nakajima uh, from Noah One Night Dream in July. Will Ospreay versus Shoto Umino uh, in November at Power Struggle in New Japan. At number six, we have Tetsuya Naito versus Will Ospreay from the G1 Climax. That is the semifinal uh, at the Sumo Hall. And then we have the top five. Kenny Omega versus Will Ospreay in Toronto Forbidden Door. I was there for that uh, with the oh, the infamous Tiger Driver 91 um, or whatever he called it. Uh, MJF versus uh, Brian Danielson at Revolution. The Iron Man match. Brian Danielson versus Zack Sabre Jr. at Russell Dream. Adam Page versus Swerve Strickland at, uh, in the Texas Death Match at Full Gear. And then finally, probably what's going to win match of the year with a lot of whoever's doing awards, right? Kenny Omega versus Will Ospreay at Wrestle Kingdom one year ago uh, with a 9.76 based on 
1,000 votes. So there might be a few more votes at this point, uh, but I think this is this order is still accurate. Um, of course, cage match rankings can always change, just like uh, Fritz's favorite songs, right? The rankings can always change. <laughs> All right. And on to things that um, I, I think it's interesting to look at, like, I was going to look at event ratings. Does, does, to what extent does this matter? I was going to look at event ratings too and using cage match as a sample or maybe a bellwether looking at, um, you know, how the, the shows have been received. I think there is, there are some hints that you can get out of this stuff. This isn't cage match isn't, isn't the end, end all be all, but it is interesting to look at the critical reception. And I think these things do tell you sort of who's getting the most efficient free advertisement because people are telling each other about Look at this good content that you can see. That's what they say. Check out this content. Um, speaking of content, we'll go to YouTube now with more year-end data, looking at what were... So this is not taking into account every video, but only the videos that pertain to weekly shows. So Raw, SmackDown, NXT. We're looking at the WWE events here as I drink coffee. So we're looking at those three weekly TV shows. Sorry, no, no NXT level up or whatever. Um, so we're looking at those and we're looking at these all with the same duration of lifetime. So we're looking at this only through seven days and it just so happens. That's all I'm scraping. I'm scraping WWE and AEW. We'll talk about AEW in a minute. Don't worry. We're, well, I scraped WWE and AEW's YouTube channels every single hour. And I follow every video for the first seven days or 168 hours of its lifetime. Um, well, I don't, but the bots do, right? No, the, uh, the, the Python scripts do. And the most watched video through seven days for WWE on its official channel, here's another caveat. There's, first of all, there's like WWE on USA YouTube channels now, right? And I think WWE on Fox. And there's, and WWE does not seem to be particularly vigilant in taking down people who are reposting on YouTube their their videos. I've seen some of that where you were highlights of their shows, which are just seem to be a replication of what they have on their own official channel, where those videos may be getting hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of, of views, um, which I imagine they're, they're still monetizing. They're still getting the ad revenue related to those because it's their copyrighted material. Um, point being, not all of the consumption may be represented here, but uh, but I am inclined to believe a really good sample is here. Anyway, what's the most watched video by far with five and a half million views, almost doubling anybody else at number two, is The Rock Returns to Dismantle Austin Theory, proving that Austin Theory is the biggest draw in WWE, right? Well, um, or, or maybe it was Dwayne. Uh, number two, Tribal Court is tied with, basically tied with, Rey Mysterio snapping and punching his son, punching his son Dominic. Uh, family entertainment for everyone. Uh, and then we have, number, at number four, CM Punk returns to Raw. Uh, I imagine his Survivor Series clip did well here, but we don't have the Survivor Series clip because that didn't happen on weekly TV, but his return to Raw did um, with his lukewarm promo, right? Roman Reigns deals with the bloodline dissension. This was something that was happening on June 2nd on SmackDown. Raw's craziest moments, which I should have excluded because it had the word moments in it. Uh, so disregard that one. Seven, the entire Cody Rhodes, Roman Reigns, Rock Lesnar saga uh, post-WrestleMania. 
And that's number seven. Sami Zayn launches a sneak attack on Roman Reigns February 7th. The Uso superkick Roman Reigns on June 16th. Roman Reigns berates Sami Zayn on January 6th. Uh, Owens delivers a surprise attack on Reigns in the bloodline January 20th. The Rock and John Cena highlight uh, Wild Smackdown. Randy Orton, Dominic Mysterio, The Rock comes face to face with John Cena. Randy Orton officially signs with Smackdown. The bloodline brawl uh, with the judgment. They saw a lot of... Um, a lot of Roman Reigns here, I would say. A lot of uh, bloodline. And we could continue on here, uh, but I'm hesitant to read a bunch of stuff here. So there's that. We, we do have a CM Punk uh, confronting Seth Rollins down here at 23. Um, so some rock. Almost three, what, three segments from The Rock and a lot of bloodline. That's my takeaway here. Some Randy Orton, too. These returns, what I would say are, and we'll see a lot of this in the AEW stuff that we're about to look at, Moments that are career moments, significant moments in someone's career, a debut, a return, unfortunately, when people pass away, um, which I think we'll see in some of the, the quarter hour, we'll see in what, what was the most watched telecast in all of wrestling this year on U.S. television. Um, career moments, you know, major moments in people's lives. That's what I almost want to say has a big tailwind to it and is not – not in its own right necessarily indicative of if you want to answer the question, the most important question in our lives, which is who's a draw. Um, anyway, so let's look at a great example of this. Number one and number two, most watched videos from weekly television on AEW's YouTube channel. The rated R superstar Adam Copeland kicks off a must-see opening to collision. This is after he'd already been there for a week, I think. Uh, and then we have at number two, uh, him making his in-ring debut against Luchasaurus. Uh, so Adam Copeland, formerly known as Edge, uh, number one and number two. Uh, CM Punk returning is number three on Collision. Uh, the Nature Boy Ric Flair is number four uh, with his debut in AEW. Christian Cage responds to Adam Copeland's challenge. A lot of Christian Cage and Adam Copeland here. Darby Allen dethrones the king of television uh, in his hometown. I think that's him beating, this is a year ago, him beating Samoa Joe. Um for the first time in over 13 years, Christian versus Adam Copeland. Uh, AEW has a very different style of, uh, of labeling these, these video titles. Uh, Sting and Adam Copeland from November 1st. What did MJF have to say to Samoa Joe in September? Uh, Darby Allen, Chris Jericho confront Sammy Guevara. Jeff Hardy returns to AEW. Can anyone challenge the Don Callis family powerhouse Hobbs? Well, this is one segment that I don't know what this segment really constituted but maybe because a lot of times what these video titles will not do is name will not name everyone who's in who's prominently in this video but what we see a lot of here and here we go mark briscoe and jay lethal paid tribute to to jay briscoe um i think what we what we're seeing here is a lot of returns a lot of debuts um indeed a lot of former w talent um but this powerhouse hobbs video i would say would be an exception of that here's someone who's not a former w talent uh this doesn't mean the powerhouse Hobbs is like a huge star but but this is a, this is something that stands out to me um and maybe this one too although it does have jericho in it with this one with darby allen uh and sammy sammy guevara um yeah and there's more so oh sabu takes the side of, <laughs> takes the side of adam copeland of adam cole and roderick strong uh so there's that. We'll keep going here. And um, we'll look at the top 
performing quarter hours of all of 2023. Now, what does top performing mean? If you ever looked at one of my um, quarter hour tables, then you know that quarter hours can be misleading unless you're just trying to, to make an antagonistic point. But quarter hours can be really misleading because of a lot of external factors, including ad breaks, including what came before it, including what else is on television. And I think, in fact, YouTube videos are a cleaner way to look at it because it doesn't have as many external factors that are pulling on the viewership or the views. Views and viewership are not the same thing, certainly, when it comes to YouTube videos and Nielsen data, uh, Nielsen AMA data. So anyway, what, what we're doing here in this quarter hour study that we're briefly going to run through is we're excluding all quarter hour ones. I'll explain why. And we're excluding overruns, which is controversial, but I'm excluding overruns. Um, and we're excluding everything from the first episode of collision because this study is based on the growth or loss, uh, from this quarter compared to the quarter before it. So therefore we cannot look at quarter hour ones because well, at least I don't know what was on the quarter hour. I don't know what the data was for the quarter hour before it. And I don't think it would be fair to look at that anyway, because um, let's say it's a it's a rerun of Law and Order on before Raw. I expect Raw quarter hour one to be way bigger because of the tune in. I don't think it's necessarily fair to, to look at tune in as in, in the same way that you look at quarter to quarter growth within the same program anyway. And we're looking at that growth not just absolutely on its own, but as it's subtracted from the 90-day trend for that particular quarter-hour time slot. Um, so that's why we can't look at the first episode of Collision because it has no history at that point to compare it against. So there's that. There are So there, there, there will, will be some quarter-hour ones that I do think on their own are significant because let's say they're the most-watched quarter in their entire show, but for the sake of doing something that's broad and sweeping and can apply to every quarter hour from 2023 that we have, which is every quarter hour for every weekly WNAW TV show, all six of them, um, to do something that that's broad and sweeping that will apply evenly to everyone on a level playing field, um, at least for the quarter hours that survive these exceptions. So anyway, what are they? Here's the WB stuff. Here's the top 10 for each program for SmackDown, for Raw, for NXT. And number one, the quarter hour that moved the viewership the most while adjusting for what that quarter hour usually does. Number one, Roman Reigns and the Usos live angle with uh, Solo Sokoa. Is that, is that tribal court? Anyway, we, we, we don't have them uh, named with, with their, um, their official brands uh, as, as the WWE YouTube titles do. Um, but that, that quarter hour got to 3 million viewers. Um, that might be the most watched quarter hour of the entire year, too, uh, in any case. Number two, Roman Reigns, Sami Zayn live promo. This is leading up to Elimination Chamber. Uh, number three, Roman Reigns, Jey Uso, Jimmy Uso live promo. Number four, we have uh, AJ Styles backstage promo, but The Miz and LA Knight live promo. So something that's not Roman Reigns in the bloodline there at number four, and it's LA Knight and The Miz. And then we have a Triple H live promo. I don't remember what that announcement was. And we have a Judgment Day live promo, a John Cena live promo. Uh, we have a Cody Rhodes and Ludwig Kaiser match, followed by, probably more importantly, a Paul Heyman and Cody Rhodes live promo. Uh, the Bloodline live promo. And we have here at number nine, the finish of Knight versus Butch. The Usos, Paul Heyman, Solskjaer backstage. And then we have a WWE 
draft segment. Uh, and then later on, we have a Triple H and Roman Reigns live promo. I'm guessing that is the uh, the ten year, I don't know the uh, the championship ceremony or whatever it was. Um, and then we have Raw, the most watched, well, the, the strongest mover on Raw was the um, Drew McIntyre and Judgment Day versus Cody Rhodes Uso. Is it Jay Uso, Randy Orton, and Sami Zayn? Uh, that moved 14% in the demo. Um, and then we have John Cena and Austin Theory live promo leading up to WrestleMania where John Cena buries Austin Theory. CM Punk and Seth Rollins. Uh, Cody Rhodes. Cody Rhodes and Paul Heyman. Oh, Sami Zayn, Cody Rhodes, I'm sorry. Cody Rhodes and Paul Heyman. Um, Rhodes, Rollins, Judgment Day, Sami Zayn live promo. Uh, Nia Jax versus Zoe Stark appearing backstage angle with Miz. Seth Rollins live promo. This is um, the night that Punk has returned. So this is the night where they save Punk for last. And the Seth Rollins promo in the middle of the show did pull viewership up strongly. Um, Cody Rhodes and Jey Uso versus Damian Priest and, and Finn Balor. Roman Reigns, Cody Rhodes, Paul Heyman live promo uh, the night after WrestleMania. Uh, four minutes of a Triple H live promo. Uh, and a host of other backstage and, and, uh, and other segments and something with the Usos after that. Um, so what do we have here? A lot of some judgment day. I think the judgment day have been on the positive end, uh, of, of movers here. This is a judgment day video. Um, but this is Drew McIntyre and the judgment day in a match. Um, John Cena, CM Punk and Seth Rollins, CM Punk issue has been big. Um, his return, Cody Rhodes, in a number of, of segments here. So this supports the notion that Cody Rhodes is, is really helping business, right? We've seen he's ranked highly in my analysis of W shop. He's number one for the full year. Um, in my estimates, I should say, and he was number one by W's own infographic, right? Which seems to be a top 10 ranking. Didn't have numbers on it, but seemed to be a top 10 ranking Cody Rhodes and Roman Reigns one and two. Um, so there's some of that. And, and I think, again, the, the Judgment Day, you've got, um, what? Judgment Day, Rhodes Rollins, Judgment Day, Sami Zayn live angle. Um, and a little bit of Sami Zayn in here, too. Um, as well as in, in SmackDown leading up to that um, Elimination Chamber match. Um, and then NXT. Everyone is wondering about the NXT core hours, right? And we have Seth Rollins versus Braun Breaker at number one. I did exclude overruns here. So this... Why did I exclude overruns? Because some of them are one minute long. And I don't think it's significant to look at one minute in the same way that we're going to look at what are otherwise all 15 minute segments. Um, but that did mean we excluded some longer overruns that were like nine minutes or even 14 minutes. Um, but we did exclude a, a, uh, Becky Lynch quarter hour, uh, where she was wrestling Tiffany Stratton that did really well, um, as a result of excluding all overruns. Um, Dijak versus Eddie Thorpe, which was just a couple weeks ago. Um, that's number two. Um, we have a Cora Jade Lyra, Lyra Valkyria live promo. We have Ilya Dragunov, JD McDonough live promo. I'm trying to focus on things that, that were probably the longest segment here. A Dabakato versus Axiom post-match. Um, we have a, a Noam Dar versus Gable, uh, Chad Gable match post-match. Uh, we have a post-match angle with Metaphor and Alpha Academy. Uh, we have Axiom, Frazier, Dragunov backstage angle. Some of these things 
don't necessarily make sense or sound like there's something that truly uh, it was related to this content in particular uh, that moved it. But we have Wesley versus Dominic Mysterio. So we have Dominic Mysterio. Uh, and then we have Indy Hartwell versus Zoe Stark. Yeah. And then we have Tatum Paxley versus Kalani Jordan. A lot of these things just don't necessarily jump out as like, oh, yeah, there was a lot of buzz around that. And that 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 intuition is then corroborated with this data. We have less of that here, although Seth Rollins and Braun Breaker definitely rises to that, right? Um, and then moving on to the AEW. Um, I'll do Dynamite first. At number one, we have the last four minutes of, this is on March 8th, the last four minutes of Orange Cassie versus Jay Lethal with Jeff Jarrett and best friends. That in, in quarter hour two, for whatever reason, moved the demo by 13% in a quarter hour that usually goes down six. Um, so Jeff Jarrett wins again. Um, and then we have Mark Briscoe versus Jay White. Uh, just recently, this is from the Continental Classic on November 8th. Uh, we have Juice Robinson, the guns and MJF live promo. I wonder if that is the, uh, October 4th. That, that sounds like it's the, uh, the quarters angle. Um, and then we have Chris Jericho, Don Callis live promo uh, from July. We have Adam Cole, MJF, Roderick Strong live promo from August. We have Guns and FTR live promo from March. We have Ad Adam Page and Swerve Strickland live promo. I don't think this was the recent one where they had their promo that was really well regarded, but this is from September the 6th. Um, right? Because that was a match that happened at full gear in November. Um, and it was, you know, it was a week prior that, that the memorable promo was anyway, Tony storm versus sky blue in quarter hour six on March 22nd moved the demo up by 5% in a quarter that usually is down 8% and makes this list. Um, MJF and Adam Cole versus Brian Cage and big bill with MJF and Adam Cole doing something post-match in July, uh, on July 12th. And then we finally we have a what Kenny Omega versus versus who uh, as I will pull it up in real time to find out who was Kenny Omega facing there because it's cut off in our table. So at and what is this? It ends with Cassidy Kyle Fletcher. Cassidy Kyle Fletcher. Is that correct? No, Cassidy. Kyle Fletcher backstage angle. There we go. MJ, I'm sorry. Kenny Omega versus John Moxley is that match on May the 10th. Uh, so that makes sense as a, as a match that people were tuning in to see in quarter hour seven on May the 10th collision. Again, we don't have the first collision. We had nothing to compare it against. That's not to discount that, uh, people tuned in not in the highest viewership the collision may ever get uh, for the return of CM Punk. But number one, in terms of moving the ratings, moving the quarter hours, MJF versus Kenny Omega on October 28th. Uh, then we have Claudio Castagnoli and Andrade Alidolo. And then we have Roderick Strong versus Darius Martin, post-match angle, um, with the Kingdom in action and Dreddy. Uh, Gravity and Commander versus Buddy Matthews and Malachi Black. We have Andrade El Idolo versus Daniel Garcia post-match with CJ Perry. Uh, we have the finish of Christopher Daniels versus Juice Robinson with a post-match angle uh, with uh, Juice Robinson and Jay White live promo. Uh, we have Iron Savages and Jack Jameson live promo, uh, followed by Iron Savages and Jameson versus the Guns and Juice Robinson. Brian Danielson versus Eddie Kingston on December 
second as part of the Continental Classic. Uh, the finish of a tag match between uh, involving Parker and Menard against Commander and Penta with Brian Danielson is that Andrade Alidlo uh, in in the end here as I look on my spreadsheet off screen uh, looking at what number nine or so on December 9th December 9th are we all looking at the same thing here I'm not sure anyway uh, and then then we have at number 10 Mark Briscoe FDR backstage Lance Archer versus Darby Allen so some of these things make sense uh, some of these things do not necessarily feel meaningful uh, and then we have Rampage where the trend for Rampage is usually it starts out with the, you know, with with quarter hour one being something, and then basically the the, the next three quarters are in decline. Um, December 13th, I did try to exclude, I, did, I believe I did exclude preemptions here. So we have some weird preemptions where Rampage was following a college basketball game or something and had a massive audience. Um, but that should lead to a lot of tune out anyway. Um but we do have Parker Menard and Garcia versus Cassidy on the Hardys at number one here, which somehow moved the audience by 38%, which doesn't make much sense um, at 10 to 10, 15. Um, this must have been something where they had a weird time slot, right? Because 10 to 10, 15 would otherwise be quarter hour one. Um, the Royal Rampage on July 21st, uh, the last two minutes of Guevara, and Jericho Ramp promo, Britt Baker, Hikaru Shida, and Sky Blue in a six-person six, uh, tag match, the Hardys in the Kingdom, uh, and more things here. I don't know that the rest of these are particularly uh, meaningful, especially when we're talking about um, Rampage, where, I mean, some of these, do we get into, like, yes, some of these did lose viewers. Uh, at least one of these did, uh, because the trend is is so strong in the other direction. So, there's the court hours. Did we learn anything from this about AEW? Um, and to contrast it with their their YouTube videos that I think corroborate what we often see in the court hours, I don't feel like I learned a ton here. Um, MJF and Adam Cole, at least early on, did seem to move quarter hours. Um, do we did we really see much of that in, in, in the YouTube videos though? Um, Probably, if I read through all of these again, uh, I, I could probably find one or two. Um, but I don't see much corroboration here. Um, what ideally I could do is go through every episode and look at every episode, quarter hours, and then look at the same, look at the the videos for that show and corroborate one against the other to say, okay, was this a did this quarter hour seem to perform well? Did we also see the YouTube clip for that segment perform well relative to the others on the show? Um, and we've done things like that in the past. Um, but we don't see to the same extent that we see in WWE in terms of certain people really standing out in the other, in the other company, Roman Reigns, um, Cody Rhodes, somewhat the judgment day, um, Seth Rollins, somewhat, uh, CM Punk's return. Those are the, the big things, I think. Um, and, and the bloodline, when we say Roman Reigns, I should include the Usos as part of that, um, and Heyman. So, and we don't have as, to the same extent, these people who really stand out. What we see in the YouTube videos certainly is a lot of returning and debuting people. Um, and some sting, you know. Uh, and I think that's consistent with the consistent with a year in which W got stronger and you could say based on this data 
their star power, the individual star power of their key stars got stronger. And in the case of AEW, things became a bit more mediocre. Um, and what really popped at least at these numbers, at least in YouTube was returns sort of, you could say novelties, um, returning, debuting major names. Um, so there's that. And who are the, the big stars who have really emerged in this year who are new and their own for AEW? It's hard for Miss Swerve is maybe the, the one that's coming this year. Um, so there's all the quarter hours. You can get the quarter hour reports uh, as I get them at patreon.com slash WrestleNomics. Um, and we'll look at what the biggest television viewership was uh, for these shows overall. Um, the biggest, the most watched U.S. telecast of a wrestling program in 2023 was this episode of SmackDown on August 25th, um, which did which did what for an actual number here on August 25th, uh, which included a, a tribute to, this is just after Bray Wyatt passed away, just after Terry Funk passed away uh, around the same time. So what we have here is 2.58 million viewers. This did in the demo in terms of a rating, did a 0.76 demo rating. And uh, it started off with the, the tribute, and that was the most watched quarter hour. Um, so that was the most watched episode of SmackDown. This is the most watched episode of Raw, uh, and that is the, this is actually more watched than that episode of SmackDown in the demo. This is the post WrestleMania episode of Raw, which you know grew from from quarter hour one to quarter hour two, and peaking at you know two point five. Nine, eight, almost 2.6 million viewers for the Roman Reigns, Cody Rhodes, Paul Heyman live promo, and then slid like a slide until the last two quarter hours when it grew back up, uh, concluding with a Brock Lesnar and Cody Rhodes live angle. So that was the most watched Raw of the year, and it was the most watched, it was more watched in the demo than any SmackDown this year, which is, you know, in, in every other week almost, Raw uh, is, is under what SmackDown is doing. Um, and what did this actually do for a number here? This post-WrestleMania Raw on April 3rd, it did 2.26 million viewers. 2.26 million viewers. The most recent episode of SmackDown will probably beat that in total viewership, but in a 0.76 in the demo. So virtually equal to what that Bray Wyatt and Terry Funk tribute SmackDown did, uh, but slightly higher in terms of actual viewers. Because if you don't know, the P1849 rating is based on the number of viewers as a percentage of the national population within that age group. And we had 997,000 viewers in that age group. We had slightly less than that for that episode of SmackDown. So that's the most watched WWE shows of the year. And then we have the most watched Dynamite of the year, April 22nd. Um, everybody remembers that one, right? the April 22nd dynamite on TBS that I think there were only, if you, if you're, if you're one of those million, million people, I think there were only three or four times when dynamite hit a million viewers in this year. In any case, uh, as you can see, most of the quarter hours here were over a million viewers. One, two, three, four, five, five out of, was there an overrun here? No, five out of eight. And we had what, what on this show was this like a branded dynamite? This had orange Cassidy and Wheeler Yuta. Um, this had a Ricky Starks live promo, a Jericho live promo, Jericho and Ricky Starks live promo, the acclaimed versus the firm, Jack Perry and Christian Cage, Soraya versus Sky Blue, Brian Danielson MJF live promo, which the demo grew, but total audience didn't. 
We have, I'm skipping over things that are backstage here. We had a Revolution Tag Team Battle Royal. We had Tony Khan and Adam Cole backstage promo. Not skipping over that one. And a six-man, is this a six-man or eight-man? One, two, three, four. Oh, wow, now that's a backstage angle. And then we have John Moxley, Evil Uno entrances, and then an Evil Uno, John Moxley main event. So that was the most watched Dynamite. For what reason, I don't know. And it's not like, wow, this had like this huge lead-in. Apparently not, because it's not like you see this huge quarter one to quarter two decline. Uh, probably just had the Big Bang Theory as a lead-in. More on the Big Bang Theory later. <sighs> Stay tuned for the Big Bang Theory. Um, and then in the demo, that was Total Viewership. That was this show that was most watched in terms of total viewership. And by the way, what did it do on uh, February 22nd? On February 22nd, that episode of Dynamite was watched by an average of 1,028,000 viewers. Did a .35 in the demo. Um, but then we had the, uh, the Grand Slam episode, which was more watched in the demo. And that did a .36, .36 in the demo. Uh, so slightly higher by one full ratings point, but it was only watched by only watched by seven uh, by nine hundred and eighty four thousand viewers. So no million, no million for here it is the Grand Slam episode, um, and that makes sense why this would be among the more watched, most watched episodes of Dynamite of the year. Heavily hyped in our Thrash Stadium, you had Claudio Castagnoli versus Eddie Kingston. You had the main event of MJF versus Samoa Joe, uh, Chris Jericho versus Sammy Guevara in the middle. Uh, John Moxley versus Ray Phoenix. This one where he gets concussed. Um, Soraya versus Tony Storm. Those look like the matches. Okay. Those were the most watched shows of the year for the respective companies. Um, but then this year, already this year, day one, January 1st, Raw was on television. It was on the USA Network. And um, by my formula of conditional formatting that, that I've been applying to. I've modified it a little bit. Uh, I haven't modified it in a while, though. Um, but we have a lot of green boxes here that are supposed to indicate maybe this was actually about the content, the reason why the viewership is up. A lot of green boxes here. But by far, um, the most interesting one is the quarter hour at 10 to 10.15. And in fact, what happened before it, we had a, a, a hyped um, return of a WWE champion. And of course it was. Jinder Mahal. Jinder Mahal, the former W champion, who could forget, uh, coming out to do a live promo, but then he was he was spoiled and foiled by The Rock, uh, Dwayne Johnson coming out, where viewership averaged for those 15 minutes, and we do have, you know, we had an ad break, and then we had a Jinder Mahal live promo. Uh, I did have this on on mute. Like, I don't know how long he was out there by himself, but that's what we have labeled here from 9.45 to 10. Um, so he was out there by himself, apparently, and then into the next quarter, that's where The Rock joined him. You know, reportedly this segment went way over time. In any case, the portion with The Rock from 10 to 10.15 averaged 2,154,000 viewers, uh, by far bigger than anything on the show, as you can see in the line chart here. We have this big, big hump here, and then a big decline afterward as well. Um, I continue to speculate what happens here. What helps these buzzworthy segments do especially well is I speculate that people hear about the segment on social media, I guess, or through fax machine or through landline telephone conversation. And then they go into their DVR and they check it out and they watch that 15 minutes or so. And then they turn it off, which, which is consistent with the trend that we see here going from 2.154 million viewers to 1.57, uh, following that. 
Um, and we've seen that on a number of other occasions too. But in any case, um, big movement here. This was the most watched Raw since um, the post-Survivor Series episode. Um, consistent with the activity we saw in quarter hours, the YouTube video for this segment is over 4 million views. I don't think it's reached 5 yet. Uh, don't know that it, that it will within 7 days. But if it does, uh, there will be an automatic tweet that happens from the WrestleNomics account. So there's that. And then we'll talk about NXT, everyone's favorite show. So NXT had their New Year's Evil special, or at least their New Year's Evil branded week of NXT. 768,000 viewers, a 0.25 in the demo. This was their highest since November 7th in each of those measurements. So a good rating for NXT. This is coming off, by the way, both of these shows for both NXT and Raw coming off a week of pretty low ratings, the week of Christmas. Um, Raw had the best of show that did a fraction of the audience that it usually does. Uh, NXT was not particularly highly watched either, right? Because it was up 15% in this week versus the prior week. Um, up 32% in the demo for this episode versus the prior week. Um, looking like we're going to see similar for SmackDown based on the fast affiliates at this point too. Um, but anyway, pretty good rating for, for NXT. Um, <laughs> This episode is up 79% versus the prior year's average in the demo. In any case, uh, what's what I really want to look at here is compare this to, to Dynamite in a particular way. But let's just talk about what Dynamite did in the same week, which it did, I think, you know, an okay rating. Uh, 801,000 viewers, a 0.26 in the demo. And this episode was down uh, 5% versus the prior week, down 3% versus the trailing four, down 7% in the demo versus the trailing four. So actually, this, this is on the, the lower side for what Dynamite uh, has been doing lately. So not a great rating. Uh, 2.6 they've, they've done. It's not it's not the lowest since some milestone, but it's, this was on the lower end of what they've done. So keeping that in mind. Um, okay, this, this is what the quarter hours looked like for Dynamite. Um, Yes, we'll talk about the Big Bang Theory issue first. A big quarter hour one, over a million viewers in quarter hour one, inheriting some audience while gaining some tune-in. So we have here, for people who don't know, right, is you have, yes, Big Bang Theory, for whatever reason, captivates a significant audience on TBS at 7.30, and you have people at the end of that episode who left the television on, and then you also have new viewers arriving um, to watch Dynamite. So you have this high audience of over a million viewers. And then some of those viewers who are watching Big Bang Theory, they leave and we have a big decline. So we went from 1,063,000 viewers to 858,000 viewers. So that's, that's a strong decline. And, you know, I've heard some chatter about how, well, the Big Bang Theory, uh, affect the Big Bang Theory tune out, you might say the tune out from quarter hour one to quarter hour two or any subsequent quarter hours has been stronger than usual. Uh, and I was tempted to dismiss this and say, ah, people, people who are talking about ratings who aren't me don't know what they're talking about. So I looked into this ready to refute this, this easily refutable argument, right? Um, so there they are. There's the cast of the Big Bang Theory, uh, who are the real draws. And what I found was, <clears throat> so what I did was I compared the total audience, and this is especially pronounced in total audience, right? Um, Big Bang Theory is less watched with the demo than total audience, at least relative to Dynamite. Um, but what I found was, you know, comparing quarter hour one 
of dynamite to dynamite's own core hour two to eight. That is the rest of the show comparing the first core hour to the rest of the show, or alternatively, there's no difference really comparing core hour one and two versus the rest of the show, which is three and three to eight. Um, <clears throat> what we're seeing here is the disparity between those early quarters or quarter and the rest of the show has gotten greater and has been greater than usual. And if you're watching in video, you can see I've drawn a 13-week moving average trend line. Why 13 weeks? Because that's about a quarter of a year. And this is across the entire timeline of AEW Dynamite on TBS. Of course, it moved from TNT to TBS in January 2022. And what we see here over time is, well, not over time. I guess what we, what we see is the difference between the early quarters and the rest of the show is around 10 20%. Sometimes it's as, rarely it's as high as 30%, but some, sometime around early October, we have that disparity has been higher than average, basically on a consecutive basis, all right? You see all these dots here. Let me use my mouse. Can you see my mouse? I don't think you can. In any case, what we have here is, yeah, there we go. All of these dots here from just after October begins all these dots here are above this average trend line, which is just another way of saying the disparity has been higher than usual. Um, that also does coincide with total viewership being in, in, a, in a negative slope uh, since mid-October or so. Um, I did exclude preemptions here. There are probably a couple episodes in this entire timeline that did not actually get the Big Bang Theory as a lead-in, but that's but we're dealing with, what, around something over 100 episodes here, um, I think. And I did exclude preemptions. Um, so anyway, and we do have viewership where, you know, look, look at these gray dots. They're mostly, since October, mostly under this 13-week average trend line. So there's something happening there, and I, I don't know what that story is. Um, I can come up with an antagonistic story to say... These big bang viewers, they, they leave the TV on and they hate what they, they hate what they see in quarter hour one. I don't, I don't see any reason to think that's the case more than usual. Um, so I'm not sure what's happening there. And it's not, I mean, unless the viewership for big bang theory has like increased during this time, but I was told and I have to, to look, we do get this data on a, on a delayed basis, but I was told the you know most recently, the most recent week, which is included here, uh, the the lead in was weaker than usual. So I I and given just the the nature of television, traditional television being in secular decline, I would just expect that Big Bang viewership's performance, while being exceptional for a rerun, is not that is not gonna is gonna decline slightly over time. So I don't know what to make of this. This is data. I've I've taken data, and I have done an analysis, but the next step is to find out why, you know, the insight of why this is happening. And I, I just don't know, uh, what that is. I don't know what other story to, to come up with, to like explain that. Um, as I struggle with this, with this collar here. Okay. So if you have any ideas, I don't know, I'm not, not monitoring the live chat. There could be absolute chaos and anarchy and, uh, uh, verbal abuse happening in the, in the chat, but I, I'm not monitoring it. Uh, I will look at it later. Um, so there's that an interesting 
discovery in the world of uh, WrestleNomics data. Um, but the other thing I wanted to talk about is the release of Dynamite. And the release of Dynamite this week was that the median viewer age, this is exciting. We went from, from lead-in effects to the next exciting issue, which is median viewer age. The median viewer age for uh, NXT was younger than the median viewer age for Dynamite. Now, if you're looking at this chart right now, you can see that this is basically almost never been the case. Um, this is going all the way back since the beginning of the Wednesday Night War, October 2019. And what we see here in the yellow is the median age of that audience from the very beginning, which for NXT, it's been at best in the late 40s at the very beginning, when Dynamite at that time was in the low or mid 40s. And it's moved up. And, you know, comically in the, the NXT 2.0 days, it was upwards of 60 years old, where half of the audience was over the age of 60 years old in the, in the you know, the late 21, early 22 era of NXT. And it has declined, especially since I mean, you see a especially sharp decline, I guess, here from January 23 onward. We see a really pretty strong negative slope here um, from, you know, roughly Q4 of 22 and then it sort of levels out a bit by middle of last year, July. Um, but it's still, you know, still getting down there a bit. Um, and what we had here was this week. Oh, I'll look it up here to tell you what the ex exact ages were. Uh, Dynamite's median age this past Wednesday was 51.6. 51.6. Half the audience was over 51 years old. But that, that is the measurement. 51.6. And NXT was 49.9. So slightly lower. Um, and that, that has never happened except for, um, one time in June when I believe it, what was it? June 22nd. Does that line up with, uh, with an episode of, of NXT or dynamite? Um, maybe it was June 20th. In any case, there's a week in June where I do have, when, when we reported the data at the time before Nielsen reprocessed it, um, NXT was older. Um, but then we ended up with with it being reprocessed because I look back on this historically um, and NXT ended up younger in that week. Maybe reprocessing showed something that was not necessarily reflective of actual viewership. I don't know, but um, so maybe there's that one exception, uh, but it's just, just um, indicative of what, of what does this matter? Well, it is, as viewership gets higher, viewership usually gets younger Um and we're still at a point, right, where, I mean, if we, we, we look at, I think I have a slide here, right? Dynamite is basically always uh, having a higher audience than NXT, right? The gray line, except for this past week where they nearly touched, the gray line is usually bigger, bigger than the, the gold line. Um, but it's indicative of, of, I think, the relevance of the, of the increasing viewership of NXT. I mean, no show by percentage was up more than NXT in 2023. Um, if I file, if I share the big spreadsheet and look at our, our 13 week moving averages of median age for all these shows. And we have seen NXT, you know, repair the age of its viewership and get a lot younger. Um, while dynamite dynamite is not, not, it's not really growing, right? It did grow a bit from, you know, from around this time in, in early October, in fact, where we've seen a decline in total viewership, um, it did grow a bit there, but it's not like it's in this really sharp, positive slope. Um, 
So there's that. I mean, we, we are seeing NXT get younger and, and its viewership has gotten bigger. And I think that coincides with people caring about the show. <laughs> people watch it more. I mean, there's something about the, the, the youth of the viewer in this environment where traditional viewership is skewed so old because young people don't watch traditional viewership so much. Um, so I think that's interesting and a, and a juxtaposition from, from where we were a year ago, a couple years ago, certainly. Um, so there's all that. And what else do we have here? What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Overdraft fees are just the worst. Get up to $200 in fee-free overdraft with a Chime checking account. Sign up today at Chime.com slash Goals24. Banking services and debit card provided by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. I've been talking to myself for almost an hour. Well, more than an hour, in fact. Um, it's time to talk about football. The Bills face the, the Dolphins later today in a do-or-die. Uh, might not make the playoffs if they don't win today. But they could win the division. They will win the division if they win today. Um, anyway, let's look at Thursday Night Football. Is streaming, speaking of streaming, and people never people who are young not watching traditional TV and only watching streaming, well, we've got a weekly NFL show that is on streaming. And how's it doing relative to the prior year when it was also on streaming on Amazon Prime Video? And how is it doing compared to traditional TV viewership on Fox and the NFL Network in 2021? So, Prime viewership, um, Amazon Prime viewership for Thursday Night Football is up. Uh, in terms of total viewership, it's up in, I believe, every week, right? Is that what we're seeing here? We're seeing 2023 in the yellow, and it was up in week two. They didn't have a week one. I didn't leave it out. They didn't have a week one, so they were up in week two, week three, week four, week five, week six. I'm comparing this to the green, by the way. Week seven, week eight, week nine, week 10, week 11, that Black Friday which they didn't have in the prior year. It's Thanksgiving week where others have the Thursday game. Week 13, week 14. They were down in week 15. That's right. I thought there was one there that they were down for where they had only 8 million viewers for their week 15 game versus 10.3 million the prior year. But they were up in week 16 and 17. So Prime, Prime Video's Thursday Night Football did better than the prior year in total viewership. Did better than... And we knew this last year, too. Last year did better than the games that were only broadcast on the NFL Network. But those games that were broadcast in 2021 on both Fox and the NFL Network, Amazon Prime Video, in this year, nor last year, has not, ooh, has not, no, no, it is not. It has not equaled any of them. Nobody watches traditional TV anymore. Well, at least that's not the case when it comes to football. Um... So streaming has not been able to equal what at least Fox plus NFL network was able to produce a couple of years ago. Now we are seeing 2023 do better than 2022. So that viewership and that reach of streaming, at least when it comes to the NFL is growing. Um, that's total viewership. Now here's the demo. There are ads. On Thursday Night Football, I would say most of the money is justified in terms of the subscriber 
fees that the NFL drives for all of its TV partners. Um, I don't know how much Amazon prime video is, I guess it's, it's, it's certainly adding value, right? In any case, um, you want that shipping discount, but in the demo we have not every week, right? But we have, so if we look at just these purple boxes here that are the Fox plus NFL, uh, we have prime video beating Fox plus NFL in week five in the demo in week six under it in week seven, just under way under in week eight beating it in week nine, just under in week 10, but beating it in week 11, no comp in week 12, beating it in uh, week 13, which it, which it didn't in the prior year for most of these comps when it's beating it, right? Um, not, not beating it in week 14, not beating it in week 15, and then the, no comp in 16 and 17. So as you would expect with younger viewership, Streaming is able to produce the audience that traditional TV did, but not those old folks. They love their, their, their rubber remotes and they love their, their Fox, um, and their NFL, um, NFL network. They love traditional TV and they're more apt to continue to use traditional TV and are less apt to use, um, streaming. Now, why am I bringing it? Well, I'm bringing it up because it's the end of the NFL season. We finally have this data in full for a full year versus of the prior years. But we also have another interesting data point for this week because on December 23rd, Saturday night, Peacock had an exclusive NFL game, the Buffalo Bills versus the LA Chargers. And the audience for that game was 7.3 million. Now that does include the local broadcast affiliates in Buffalo and San Diego broadcasting this over the air. Uh, but then again, all of the NFL numbers, I believe, do include that um, when, well, what should, what should I say here, is that when NFL games are on cable, or in this case, streaming, would be the case if it was Amazon Prime Video 2, those games also have to be broadcast over the air in the local market for those teams. Um, so when Prime Video broadcast the New Orleans Saints versus the LA Rams, I'm sure there was those games were also available on broadcast in those markets um so when we're looking at 10.2 million viewers for for the saints versus the rams on thursday night football i'm almost positive that that included local broadcast viewing too anyway 7.3 million viewers it's the least watched game of the week it's an unusual time slot it was a saturday night primetime game it was not necessarily a uh, it was not monday night football it was not sunday night football it was not in the the traditional one o'clock four o'clock sunday window what should we compare this against well, is there a good comparison point for this this game that was exclusively on Peacock? Well, let's look at the, the Saturday before it, uh, where NFL Network had a game. It was the Vikings and the, and the Bengals. Uh, 7.5 million viewers on the NFL Network, a cable network that doesn't have as strong coverage. I think I could look this up, but that doesn't have as strong coverage as ESPN, but still pretty good. Um, 7.5. 5 million viewers. So it did slightly better than the, this game that was on Peacock. Um, is this astounding? Um, oh, wow. Oh, percentage of markets. I didn't see, by the way, these tables are from the great sportsmediawatch.com, uh, which has lots of uh, good information about uh, sports TV ratings and other things. Um, so there's that. Um, pretty comparable to what the NFL Network is doing, which some of these NFL Network games are sort of like this is the secondary broadcast compared to the, the major networks that have the games. Um, in any case, 
We'll see what happens as Peacock has an exclusive playoff game probably next week, right? Uh, we'll see how that does. And I believe Nielsen will be tracking that as well. Um, why is Nielsen not tracking everything? Why is Nielsen not tracking the WWE premium live events? Um, I would appreciate it if they did. Um, but it tells you that what streaming is not yet able to capture the audiences that at least broadcast does. And it's about equal to when these games are on sort of a medium cable network. Um, but if we look at this, you know, traditional cable, it's now at about 70 million homes. Netflix is now at about 70 million homes. And sometime during this year, what's probably going to happen is Netflix is going to have more subscribers than traditional cable. And we will increasingly, as we increasingly have live in a world where more people have streaming, less people have cable and, We'll see what happens when streaming does you know, increasingly close this gap and whether or not streaming will ever be profitable for some of these businesses, including Peacock and Paramount. Another question, although Peacock subscribers have surpassed those of ESPN Plus uh, in the most recent reporting quarter of Q3. Uh, so there's that. And we have a story uh, that, that may be good news for AEW. This is coming from Sportico. Uh, in, in their their report of the NCAA has has announced a new eight year deal, nine hundred and twenty million dollars is their new TV agreement with ESPN that covers forty different championships, most notably the annual women's basketball tournament. This is the NCAA's second most valuable media package, covering nearly every major championship except top tier football, which the NCAA doesn't control. Football is a different beast, and the men's basketball tournament, which it sells separately. In addition to women's basketball, the package includes softball, baseball, the big draw, volleyball, and ice hockey championships, among others. The inclusion of women's basketball tournament is particularly notable as the NCAA faced mounting criticism over its unequal treatment of its men's and women's postseason tournaments. Many focused on the organization's decision to sell the men's event as a standalone and the women's event as part of a bigger group. Um, last year, Sportico broke down the arguments for and against separating the women's tournament, which includes estimates of what it might uh, fetch on its own and what it might what it might do to the value of other rights. The new contract, this is the key part here, the new contract for these this uh, hodgepodge of, of 40 different NCAA championships averages $115 million per year. So, we don't really have a wrestling TV AAV average annual value that's around $115 million currently. Because um, what we have, Raw 265, Peacock, WWE 200, maybe a little more than 200. We have SmackDown on Fox 205. We have SmackDown going to NBCU in the future, 287. Um, we have AEW, 44 or so before collision now about 70 75 i think with collision so anyway 115 million is the current value uh and is more than three times larger than the previous package the deal between espn and ncaa was a 14-year deal worth 500 million dollars and an average annual value of 35.7 million dollars per year the men's tournament rights are shared by cbs and turner which uh were most recently extended through 2032 in an eight-year deal with the 8.8 billion. Endeavor, our uh, 
uh, our friends at Endeavor, people we know at Endeavor, uh, advised the NCAA on the deal. So I think it's interesting that maybe this is a, a good sign for AEW. I will, I will temper this with, I think the, the NXT deal was not great news for, for an AEW deal. Because why? Because NXT went from 15 million average annual value on the USA network. They got a new deal with the CW, which was an increase, 70% increase. Oh, great news for, for NXT. Uh, to about $25, $26 million a year. But based on their viewership and what they're delivering you know, per viewer hour compared to what AEW is, is delivering per viewer hour, uh, it makes AEW look like it's closer to fully valued. Um, does that mean AEW won't get an upgrade? It, it probably doesn't mean that they won't get an upgrade. But it doesn't reflect well on the value of wrestling television. Now, AEW is a larger package of, of hours. It, we're talking about NXT, which is two hours, a little bit more with an overrun of weekly content. NXT is five plus some unmonetized rights, including perhaps pay-per-view, library, maybe other things, uh, maybe other small pieces there. So, but still, you break that down on an average per hour basis, and NXT uh is it makes AEW look fully valued, which is something we've looked at in prior episodes. Um, but this deal going from $36 million to right 35.7, as you can see here to 15, which is a three X increase. Um, you've got a, a, a deal that I, I wonder what the hours are. We don't know. It's 40 different championships and Lord knows how they'll air them. If they'll air them on ESPN, ESPN plus, um, but we've got a deal of, of 36 million, which is less than AEW, uh, but pretty close. Well, pretty close to the, the Dynamite plus Rampage deal going 3x to 115. Um, it's encouraging that a deal that is of that range of value of around AEW's, you know, sub $100 million deal, AAV, is still able to get a multiple X increase. So not just a 40x increase, like a really, a much more valuable property like SmackDown went from 205 to 287, 40%. Stock market was not happy about it, but it's an increase of 40, uh, 40%. And so it's maybe the fact that these deals, deals that are already in the hundreds, in the multiple hundreds of millions of dollars, maybe they're not going to get as big of an increase while these smaller deals could still get, you know, 2x, 3x maybe more. Um, and it's encouraging that AEW could get a deal of 2X, 3X that will help them become profitable and help this business become sustainable. So there's that. Um, TKO is merging the the global partnerships teams uh, for W and UFC, uh, led by Grant Norris Jones, um, who's played a key role in UFC's global partnerships. So he's coming from UFC. And... Uh, Lou Coscovillis, um, who I believe is also a, a UFC, uh, employee up to this point. So consolidating those two teams, as we'll see, you know, this is one of the opportunities that was said to exist. And the reason why you do this merger, among other reasons, besides lots of layoffs and saving lots of money on, on cutting people is that you also get to sell sponsorships and other business partnerships together, whether that's site fees, whether that's advertising and sponsorships, whether that's, you know, doing a UFC and a WWE event in the same uh, weekend, whether that's co-promoting uh, your events to one another's audiences. So 
not much to say other than that's something that TKO announced this week. Um, there's that. And Money in the Bank will come to Toronto. Uh, and I guess I'll, I'll be going to that in July, July 6th, uh, just over the border to me. Um, also doing an NXT show on a Sunday, which is not something I think we've seen at least in a while. Um, all these events happening at Scotiabank, uh, SmackDown the night before. Money in the Bank on Saturday. Of course, they want the PLE on Saturday on Peacock. Um, and on Sunday, NXT Heat Wave. So that'll be a case, I guess, of Collision having to go against a pay-per-view, but not having to go against an NXT PLE that could have been placed on a consecutive weekend or something like that um, on a Saturday night going against Collision. So it's at least... It, it, it's kind of reducing the number of events, at least by one, that collision will have to go against that, that in every case so far have hurt its viewership. Um, and then finally, attendance trends for WWE and AEW. Average signs for, for WWE uh, in this year, and we're talking about estimated tickets distributed here. I'm going to call the numbers from uh, New Japan's official website. I'm going to call that distributed because I think that's paid less comps. That's what, what distributed is basically. Uh, so W average worldwide, worldwide, 9,000 to AEW's 5,800 to new Japan's 1,800. Um, we don't, we don't have good enough, robust enough data for CMLL and AAA. I imagine they would be in this conversation. Could, could be, would they be above New Japan? I don't know. Uh, and I don't think any of the other Japanese companies would be above New Japan here. Can't imagine that. And I think I've looked at the cage match data to to assure me of that um, in the past. Um, but the distance between, I guess it's interesting to note that, you know, the distance between, um, what is it? It's 4,000 between New Japan and AEW. And it's what? That's less than 4,000 between AEW and and WWE. So the distance between these companies, I guess, in terms of average audience, average attendance is about the same um, from one to the other. Um, in terms of total, total, um, not attendance, not, not viewership, but total attendance, total uh, estimated tickets distributed, 1.92, 1.92. We have I'm estimating ticket sales of about 1.7, but 1.92 estimated tickets distributed for WWE. Um, AEW doing about, about a little over a quarter of that, 550. 52,000, about a half a million. Um, W doing just under 2 million. And then New Japan doing 265,000. Um, so about a quarter of a million there. And the number of events, New Japan ran far more events than AEW, uh, but not as many as WWE. WWE ran 220, AEW ran 95, and New Japan ran 162. This is the the average over time, uh, as we as we know here. Well, the average for AEW is up slightly from five thousand six hundred last year to five thousand eight hundred in well, I say last year five thousand six hundred in twenty twenty two to five thousand eight hundred in twenty twenty three, which is down from the peak year of twenty twenty one with the novel, not coronavirus, the novel CM Punk uh, six thousand. 300 in 2021. So they're in terms of average still with adding this collision show and adding a, a, about four or five house shows, um, adding some pay-per-views, uh, of course, what's the, what this, what is this really boosted by? Uh, it's boosted by a one, a single event that did 
what we're counting here is an 83,000 estimated tickets distributed. Now they'll do another all in and we'll see to what extent they're able to deliver a similar number, probably a lower number, uh, probably with higher ticket prices, but probably a lower number. Um, but still a really big number. That's really going to boost their average. Um, this is the total attendance over time, uh, 552 down from 390 or up from 399, up from 225 in the prior year. Um, we've got the estimated ticket sales in here, which is simply knocking off 9%. Um, and this is WWE. And yeah, I guess we can get into this big question about is this a boom period? And what does this 2023 year look like compared to the Attitude Era? Uh, I'm not going into the Hulk Hogan era. We did that with some different data uh, a few months ago, but the average estimated tickets distributed 9,000, estimating tickets sold of nine of 7,900. And that is higher than any year since 2002. Um, higher average. However, there's a lot more events happening here, right? Um, and the total attendance uh, is 1.9 million, which is lower than, it is higher than 2019 when they were running a lot more events, which is impressive. Uh, but the total attendance is lower than 2018. Again, when they were running, I think over 300 events in this year, as we looked at a moment ago, they ran 220 events. So they're running far fewer events. Does running fewer events help them do stronger averages? Arguably not, because the extra shows that they're doing, all the, all the cuts to shows have been through house shows, largely in smaller markets, I think. I suppose we could comb through that and see what cities they're not visiting that they used to visit and look at how big those markets are that they have been cut. But I guess the notion is that if, if they ran more of those small market shows, the average would be down. Um, and, but not necessarily that the big shows that they're doing in bigger markets, those would presumably not be affected by an increase in supply of events. Um, in any case, what's happening here, it's hard to compare. It's hard to compare years that have upwards of 300 events or in the high 200s in the number of events that they're running. In, uh, in just five years ago, they were running over 300 events. And one of those years, they're running 365 events. So they're running the same number of events that there are days in the year. It's not all the same talent, of course. Uh, but this is after they did the Thraw and SmackDown brand split. They ran an increasing number of events. Um, and that did coincide with their total attendance increasing and peaking uh, in 2017. And the, uh, this was called 2010s here, 2.4 million Uh and then being down substantially in 2018 and 2019 as part of the multi-year secular decline in W fan engagement, despite their financial picture being great. Um, yeah, what, what does this mean compared to 1999? It's not as hot as that time. Um, but it's certainly, it's absolutely hotter than 2019. And I would say, I don't know, vibes tell me that this, it's hotter than it's been probably since 2002. That makes, I, I, I buy that. I buy that. Um, but that's just, that's just my gut. What about New Japan? Is New Japan, um, with its first full year with at least a lot less restrictions here re related to COVID, um, internationally, it did about the same average for uh, attendance as it did domestically in Japan. But it's, you know, despite what we looked at 
earlier in terms of the Wrestle Kingdom attendance being about even to what it was in 2016 and 17. Uh, we've got a domestic attendance that is still you know, lower by the hundreds in terms of average attendance. Uh, back in 2016 and 2017, they were doing two they were doing 2,200, 2,300, and here in 2013, 2023, I mean, doing 1,800. So a lower average attendance, but this international attendance went back up. Of course, there's a minority of events that are happening there. Uh, in terms of total attendance, we see similar, right? 265,000 is the total that I get for their attendance in 2023, and we've got over 300,000 back in these years where they were doing similar attendance at the Tokyo Dome for Wrestle Kingdom. But a total attendance uh, in this year that is not not really near what they were doing in these two years back here. Um, so there is all that. We've got market-to-market stuff that tells you more of the same. WWE had more positive market-to-market comparisons. Uh, in Key 4, they had 33 to 9. Uh, they're doing well in live events, as you can see here. AEW, not so much. Um, most of their... Is it right? Most of the market market same event comparisons that we can make, that is dynamite returning to a market, uh, mostly those are down. Uh, and throughout the year, that was the case, uh, including in Q4 most recently, as that has come to an end. Uh, if you want to look at that in more detail, that is on the Patreon for subscribers. And that is finally, that is finally all that I have is my, my, my voice and my throat. Uh, I don't know if I'll be able to speak for the next few hours because, uh, that was a lot of talking for me. And, uh, but I appreciate everybody tuning in. Uh, if you want to, again, to again, look at the quarter hour reports, look at some of these live event reports that have been put out earlier in this week. All of that is on patreon.com slash WrestleNomics. If you want to look through the slides, that is also there for subscribers. Um, and we'll be back on Wednesday with Pollock and Thurston. Uh, if you want to listen to this next week and listen to me talk to myself for another hour and, and a half. Uh, that's, that's only for people who are subscribers. So thanks everybody for listening and tuning in. And I'll talk to you next time. Bye. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.